You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, welcome Northland family and friends to our very first podcast, Extra Takes. I'm here with my good friends, uh, Teresa McCaskill and Derwin Anderson, and we're just going to have a conversation about the message. Now, it's always weird when you have a conversation about the message that you preached, <laughs> but I have I have some saving grace because uh, Teresa, she actually sits with me week in and week out to look over the message to make sure that it makes sense. And yeah. so if it doesn't make sense, we get to blame Teresa, too, <laughs> so right. not just me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, and uh, well, so welcome, friends. Like, I'm so glad to be able to have this conversation with the both of you. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having us. So when we look at this past weekend and we started a brand new series, Made for Mission, and this idea of mission is really near and dear to my heart, Mm. given the fact that I have a PhD in missiology. Mm. And I know that's a big word for many people. My mom, it took her for years. She's like, now what's your PhD in? And I'm like, it's missiology. And she would try to say it. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's let's go. Go through it again, mom. Miss. E-A-L-A-G-Y. And so, anyways, I think she can pronounce it now. She's Mom, I love you because I know that you'll be listening to this <laughs> because you are a very supportive mom. <laughs> But but missiology is the theology of mission. Mm-hmm. And so when when you look at this idea of mission, the, the, the church actually for, for a period of time in church history had lost the concept of mission because – anybody know re- the reason why they lost the concept of mission? Mm-hmm. Well, when Constantine – when he officialized the, uh, the empire in making – Christianity, the official religion of the Roman Empire, there was no longer any need for quote unquote mission. Everybody was saved. Everybody was saved. And so then over a period of 1700 years, particularly in the West, there was this use of we have to evangelize the heathen, hmm. meaning we've got to go overseas to evangelize. So so we have the father of modern mission movement, which was William Carey, hmm. but he didn't talk about mission. He talked about evangelism. Hmm. And so it's just really up been until really recent in the last few decades that we've recovered, at least in the West, this idea of mission. Mm. And so for for me, like it has been a incredible journey to learn about God's mission because look, look, here's a question that I have for you. So when when you when the church thinks like just an ordinary regular church member that's grown up in church, when you would ask them, where would you say God's mission in the Bible is found? Where do people typically go? Mm. Probably the Great Commission, yeah. in Matthew twenty-eight. Yeah. yeah, and so and growing up in, in the you know kind of in my faith tradition of being Southern Baptist, like that's where we would go. We would go to Matthew twenty-eight, mm-hmm. but but then it wasn't until I was in college and I took this class called Global Christianity that I read this book called Unveiled at Last by Bob Shogren, where he would embed God's mission starting in Genesis 12. And I'm like, oh, what? what? God's God, God's been on mission since Genesis 12? I'm like, and so I started to explore that. And I'm like, oh, this is, this, is, this is pretty cool. 
But then I started reading more years later about, about scholars saying that God by his nature is a missional God. Hmm. And I'm, th- I'm thinking, well, if, if God by his nature is a missional God, well, then it has to be embedded in creation, hmm. which is where I then started to root God's mission. And it was out of my study of Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So let me let me ask you this cuz you know and this this is this is this is actually very very humbling for me uh to ask like so w- w- when you think about what I talked about in terms of mission statements like wh- why do you think mission statements are so important in the world today? Hmm. Well, I think most people don't know what they're aiming towards or why they're aiming towards it. And so needing something to ground them and then to propel them towards whatever it is that they are on mission for or towards. So, yeah, yeah, I think we just need something to center us to, okay, why am I doing this? And then when I figure out the why, then how do I do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's the why and the how piece. So it's the the why and the how. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And I also think people need – a reason to lift their eyes out uh, to get their gaze off of themselves to think about something higher than themselves to think about something that's more important than what they might be able to do as an individual. So it's something as- aspirational. Yeah. It was so. And so you're. Yeah. So Teresa, you're even talking about like. So when they when a human being thinks about mission, they need to be thinking about something higher. Mm-hmm. You, you know than them. And I think that you know. And I love that aspect because. I do believe in our like, and some some people say we live in a postmodern era, or a some would even say a post postmodern, which I don't even know what that really means, <laughs> other than like truth is relative. But one of the elements that we do know of postmodernism is that there no there's no overarching meta narrative, there's right. no grand narrative mm. to anchor yourself. So mm. therefore, they're trying to conjure up a a micro mission statement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's even kind of blinding people even now to understanding who they are as a human being because it's not big enough to anchor who they are. That's right. I think that's true. And so that's where I feel like when I when I was looking at all of these mission statements from these companies, which that was a fun exercise. Um, I, I, I think <laughs> really Wawa still is <laughs> is still confusing to me. Fulfilling lives every day, like come on, <laughs> Wawa, we can do a little bit better than that. But I think my, the, the funniest part <laughs> was when I read Chick Fil A's mission statement, mm. and definitely in the five o'clock service on on Saturday, and then the nine a.m. on Sunday, people yelled out Northland, and I'm like. <laughs> No, but it's a great mission you statement. Missed it. You, <laughs> missed it. <laughs> you missed it. But it is amazing how these companies, these multi-billion dollar companies, spend so much energy, so much time, so much money on crafting a mission statement. Mm. And so going back to this idea, all right, so if God's a missional God by his very nature and we're created in his image, then by our very nature, we are missional beings and really trying to, you know, capture that that essence why do you so here's another question why do you think it's so important now for the church like not just northland but the church to really find out what is the mission of god Hmm. well i mean i thought about this for a long time uh we lived in scotland for five years and i kind of watched a lot of the happenings going on in america and wondered what is the role of the church in the in this time, in this culture, and even going through COVID and all the separation and isolation, what is the role of the church? And 
I'm excited about this new era here at Northland because I feel like it's going to be an in- emphasis on how the church should relate to the world. Mm. How should we be in the culture and influencing the culture and being excellent in the culture and succeeding in the culture, uh, integrating and, uh, you know, living, living in the middle of it. Yeah. And I think that that I forgot your question now, but that was my answer. No, no, I forgot yeah. your question. Well, you, no, you, you, you answered why it's so important because you're right. you're saying the reason why it's so important for the church to it, it really understand what is God's mission is that it really helps them understand their not only relationship to God but really the relationship to the world because God is a missional God. Yeah, um, it gives purpose. Yeah, it, it definitely is purpose and. and and, and here, let me uh, also kind of share this because in the church world, definitely over the last, I, you know, especially decade or so, there, there's been a lot of discussion around three words, mission, discipleship, and evangelism. Hmm. And in some sense, even the, these, these discussions kind of turn into arguments of which is, you know, which one is more important. Right. But but if you think about kind of the, the, the trajectory of Scripture, it really does start with God's mission, that it does inform discipleship, which includes evangelism. Right. So think about this big outer circle being mission. Housed in mission is discipleship, and housed in discipleship is evangelism. And what we'll see actually in this series is that kind of why I say progression, but how they all relate to one another, but how mission is the is the big overarching tent in which discipleship and evangelism is housed. Would you, it, <laughs> ah, well, go ahead. Would you say that you're saying it's the fuel then, that missions is the fuel for the evangelism and the discipleship? Is that how you're framing that? Uh, mi- mission is the vehicle by which we are discipled and by which we evangelize. So, so again, it, so going back to Genesis 1, so God is on mission to what we see in Genesis 1, to create a people to reflect his glory. All right, so then if you look at discipleship now as teaching people, and what we'll see in a couple of weeks is how the people of God in just Exodus 19, how they were to be a holy nation. Hmm. Well, so what, what Moses and the leaders had to teach them was what it meant to be a holy nation with the moral laws, civil laws, ceremonial laws. Well, that was discipleship. Well, then what we'll see is that they were to be a kingdom of priests as well, which is that mediatorial role where they are now evangelizing towards the nations because of what God's doing through them. Hmm. And so, but all of that is in the is in the, uh, the the confines of God God's mission, and so that that's where I feel like it's so important to really root who the church is in the missional nature of God and what He's been wanting to accomplish ever since the beginning of creation. And you know, so, I was yeah. going to say the thing that I liked uh, or really enjoyed and appreciated about your sermon was that you're connecting mission with identity. So it's not only my identity as a as a follower of God, it's also God's identity that's wrapped up in this activity. Yeah. Yeah, well and and what's so yeah and so think about it. So if God is by his nature is missional, which we also know by his nature he's loving. Uh mm. you know God is love. So it's embedded in who he is and so therefore as human beings if we're going to image, if we're going to mirror God, then part of our identity 
is missional, that there is a purpose to our existence. There is a reason That's why good. we breathe and, and, and move. And what's interesting, I did come across this category, this actually this morning when I was preparing for our extra takes. <laughs> but I was reading about this, this word called, uh, really words, called mirror neuron. Hmm. And, uh, and, and here's what, well, here's what Wikipedia says, but, the, but it's not just in Wikipedia, but Wikipedia gives you a good synopsis, yeah, you but, can start there. but yeah, Absolutely. so a mirror neuron is a neuron that fires both when it, and it says an animal or a person observes the same action performed by another. Hmm. So, so there's this thing that happens in our brain that now these researchers are t- entitling a mirror neuron. So the reason why I found that so fascinating is is because we are mirrors of God meant to image him. So we are meant to we're meant to observe who he is and what he does and we're meant to reflect that in our life, in our identity and then even our function. And hmm. so I found that so fascinating because this is a new area of research only uh only on the scene for about uh, two decades, I think. And so I'm like, all right, so now we're finding this thing in our brain called mirror neurons, mm. and we are created in the image of God, meant to reflect him to the world. It's in our DNA. It's in the way we were made. Yeah. And cool. and, and, and one of the things that I, I think maybe it's, it's good to explore again is, all right, so if God creates us in his image for his glory, mm. like let's let's talk a little bit more about Glory, hmm. you, you know, dig a little bit deeper, you know, into that concept. So, w- w- what are some thoughts that you you, you both have, Derwin? I'll start with you about yeah. glory. Yeah, it's it's this grand thought, grand idea, but reality of who God is, how He operates, the realm that He lives in, that um, we we don't necessarily function to attain it, but we function to shine it and to embody it. And we do that in everything that we do that's for God. And so I think back to the question that you asked before in regards to um, how, the, the how in this thing. And literally, when we are trying to focus our attention on the mission, like what is this thing called mission? It's so difficult when there's so many things that are clouding it to where we can't even get to the glory of God, mm. because the culture that we live in, and some would say it's the best time to be alive because of technology and accomplishments and things that, you know, our grandparents and great grandparents did not have access to. Well, now we do have access to, mm. but yet it's also a time where there's so much distraction from the mission that God's called us to. And so, um, it is important to define what is mission and then also glory. What what comes to mind and what do we focus on when we think about the glory of God, this grand thing that you cannot put into words even because it's so Yeah. The, yeah, and, and the Hebrew word, if if my memory serves me correctly, is kabod mm-hmm. and it's weight, it's mm-hmm. significance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so when you think about the weight and the significance of God, it, it really is who he is. So that's why I always refer to God's glory as his characteristics, his nature, his attributes, which actually, you know, kind of display his splendor, his majesty. And, and so, Therese, let me, let me ask you this. So when you think, cause, you know, you, 
you've thought deeply about the you know about the Lord, about the Bible, especially in your PhD studies. But right. when you think about some characteristics that draw you to the hmm. Lord, what are some of the characteristics that 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 really make up who God is, but draw, that mm-hmm. that draw you to Him? What are some things? Yeah. Um, well, I was also, I was thinking about Isaiah six uh, okay. when yeah. we were talking about glory because I love that scene where uh, Isaiah is taken up into the throne room and, you know, I, I see the Lord seated on a throne and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And there's a uh, an other, otherness about God, but yet at the same time, a, a known, known ability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that's a word. A knowability. Hey, hey, it's the 21st century. You can create words. <laughs> it is today. So, yeah. okay. I love it. I'm creating. Yeah, That's there right. you go. No, um, but there's a, 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 you know, a mystery, but yet a knowingness uh, at the same time. And uh, a... Uh, so would you say like, like, so like a knowingness... Let me, let me see if I'm I'm even tracking mm-hmm. like an intimacy, like mm-hmm. a deep rooted communion and fellowship. Yeah. So the, the so the, so what you're saying, and this is interesting because when we read in Genesis one twenty six, the Godhead says, "Let us make man." Right. And you think about the intimacy, the communion, the fellowship that the Godhead has with one another. There's this radiant glory to it mm-hmm. that not not only does you know the, the 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 Trinitarian God invite us into that kind of relationship. But we can actually have that kind of relationship with others. I mean, that was yeah. that was the, in some sense part of the idea with Adam and Eve that mm-hmm. they could they could actually enjoy the the fellowship, the intimacy that the Godhead mm-hmm. uh, did. And so, I mean, so I, if, if you think about what the church is supposed to be, we're supposed to be the people of God meant to to mirror Him. And one of the ways that we mirror Him mm-hmm. is through a deep intimacy and fellowship that we have with one another, yeah. which the world looking at you know the 21st century where the, the the particularly the the western world more isolated more disconnected than mm-hmm. ever before yet mm-hmm. we have so much connectability at our hands yes and the people of god has we have now the potential because of what jesus has done and the spirit is in us mm-hmm. to actually mirror this deep intimacy that we were created for which is glory which is a drawing mechanism yeah uh, you, you know other characteristics that i think you know kind of even think about with, with God is just generosity. Mm. I mean, like when, when you meet a generous person, you're you're like, oh, I just want to be around that person, yeah. you, you know, because one, you're like, I'm gonna get some free stuff. And it's like, you know, so <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but you're like, yeah, I think you, you just because those the people like ooze generosity. But but here's what I want to make sure too that we understand because uh, this actually goes to the shattered nature. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think is also really important to realize. All right. So, yes, we were created to image God. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they shattered the image of God. So so the image of God was not eradicated. It was not obliterated. It mm-hmm. still was there, but it was shattered. So we do these things. Mm-hmm. Like there are some people who do not know Jesus that are generous people. Sure. But, but then you have to get to the underlying motivation mm-hmm. is why are you generous? Mm-hmm. Why are you kind? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you friendly? Why, you know, and... 
If that why is not embedded in the who created you, there is a distortion because, once again, we're not reflecting the very one who created us. So any thoughts about that? You know, any additions that you? Yeah. You know, when the Bible says conversations like this always lead me to the heart is deceitful and wicked and who can Mm -hmm. know it. And Mm -hmm. so with that also comes pride. Yeah. You know, so am I doing these things to really shine my heart and my heart's deceitful and wicked. And so mm-hmm. it's not about even the other person. It's not about, obviously, if you're not saved, it's not to shine the glory of God, but it's to boast about who I am mm-hmm. and to reflect this thing that um, this creation myself. And so it literally is a reflection of the heart and if the glory of God is not the focus, then you're reflecting pride. You're reflecting the sin nature that you're born into. And so it, it, it's a teller of what really is going on inside. Which goes to the sequential formula. Again, not a math guy, but who I am yeah. plus what I do equals who or what I reflect. Yeah, so, right. so you think about it. So if your identity is in just you, right, um, and then it leads to generosity or you're kind, then whatever, again, whatever the who is, my identity, and then what I do, it actually equals who or what I reflect. Mm-hmm. And so if we're trying to reflect ourselves of how good we are, how kind we are, then there is a distortion there because we were not created for ourselves. Yeah. Which, I mean, that, again, I, and sometimes I, you, you've, we've heard people say, well, I just don't know how people who are far from Jesus or don't know, you know, Jesus, I don't know how they make it. Hmm. When, when I came to the Lord, I was eight years old. So I've lived almost, well, my entire life just embedding my life and at least trying what I, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to embed my life and what I do into who he is. But I mean, I would imagine it's a very lonely place to be if you live for yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, I do. I I mean, I, I think all of, none of us are going to uh, be completely at ease with the way we live and, and in comparison to what it could be, Mm. even Christians. So, I just think there's something um, futile uh, that – a futility that – and a hopelessness without Christ because, as Paul writes in Romans 8, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means when I do fail, when I, do, when I don't live up to the standard, uh, that when God reveals that to me, it's not in a condemning way. But if, if that's being revealed to me – as a person who doesn't know God, then I can only imagine how futile and hopeless that would feel. Mm, mm. Uh, the self-condemnation uh, that you would feel without God. Yeah. So even Christians can go there, but that's not really the voice of God. Yeah. So if you don't have that voice of God who speaks from heaven, who speaks from eternity to you in your failure, then, I mean, it's hard enough to fail. Yeah. But I can't imagine doing it without having God's voice in the mix, in my mind, in my heart. Then there is the condemnation. Yeah. yeah if yeah. you don't, because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Right. But if you're not, it's the all, weight of that condemnation yeah. is so heavy. Yes. You know, I couldn't, I don't think I could deal it. with it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you, you bring up the voice of God too, because that, that reminds me of this whole idea of authority mm. and this idea of operating. 
you know, that we are to operate under the lordship of Christ. Like, so, so imagine, I mean, this is, this would be kind of an apologetic type thing. But if there are people in the culture saying uh, that we just want to do what we want to do, so we want to define what is right, we want to define what is wrong, and we don't want anybody else, what they're saying is that we want to be our own authority. And what you would have if you carried that to its logical conclusion is anarchy. Hmm. So at some point, human beings, and I think that's where the role of at least religion from a world, you know, from a world perspective and a worldview is that we were created to be under authority. And so whose authority are are we living under? What what voice are we listening to? Are we yeah. listening to our own voice? Are we listening to uh you know some other some other voice out there that you know has has nothing to do with the Bible? Uh, maybe it's another worldview, maybe it's another religion, or are we listening to the voice of God? Because again, it goes back to who whoever we sit under will will be really who we actually reflect again who I, who I am plus what I do equals whom or what I reflect let, let me let me ask you you know kind of this because I, I want to talk about two more things before we kind of wrap up our our time the the idea that I I read in a book it, it's it's called creation regained and it's by Albert Walters, and he makes this statement that has res- you know that has stayed with me for years. He says the scope of redemption is as great as that of the fall, hmm. and so and this is why why that statement is really important. Which you know again kind of coincides with this series that we're in, made for mission. So when Adam and Eve sinned, and if you go and, and read Genesis three after. Uh, they they sin. You will see all of the consequences mm-hmm. that that God actually gives them because of their sin, and it will fall under the categories of relate, create, and operate. And so so Albert Walters, uh, you know, statement: the scope of redemption is as great as that of the fall. The reason why that's so important for the church is because it's not just about evangelism. Yes, evangelism is sharing the good news that King Jesus has come to make all things new, and he's made that possible through his death and his resurrection. And through his death and resurrection, he wants to reconcile you to God, but it just doesn't stop there. Hmm. He's now wanting to teach you what it means to relate to others. He's wanting to teach you what it means to create, to, to create culture, to look at your vocation, your career, uh, your work, and how do you reflect God in the goodness of work and vocation and career and how you steward everything. And so that's what we're really trying to get at through this series of Made for Mission is help people understand that, that sin actually impacted every realm of life. Yeah. And now what Jesus has done, because he was the fulfillment of God's promise and provision, how he is now repairing that image. Any additional thoughts that you have there about you? maybe even one of those things of relate, create, operate, and how Jesus is in the process of repairing our image so that we might function in a way that glorifies God? You know, kind of piggybacking on what you said about what God did through Jesus and now we are his workmanship. We are his ambassadors. So we, in every sphere of life, we are the, I guess you could say, we're the people, the mechanism that God is going to use to redeem. And so that is in every sphere of life because sometimes we just want to take 
the gospel in the easy places, you know, oh, mm-hmm. so I'm going to take it to work and I'm going to take it to school. No, it's in everything that you do. It's everywhere you go, the mm-hmm. highways, the byways. Right. And so I think we sometimes as believers get very narrow-minded in our understanding of, and can you read that again, the, the, the quote from the book? The scope of redemption is as great as that of the fall. Yeah, and and it's as great as... And, and as weighty as our responsibility to be the hands and feet of Christ to redeem a people from all people, you know? Mm-hmm. And how do we do that? We do that by expressing and living out and focusing the glory of God in our evangelism and in our everyday life. So it's mm-hmm. – that's I got I to gotta take that with me because that's heavy. It's heavy, but it's so simple at the same time, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, that I, I love to even point out about Genesis is that so you, you read in the very first uh, couple of uh, verses in Genesis that the earth was uh, dark and without void. All right. So scholars would say that it's chaos. Mm-hmm. And then what God does day one, two, three, four, five, and six, is that he brings order. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they now took what God had brought to order and they unraveled it in chaos. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about what Jesus is doing in terms of redemption, is that he is restoring He's restoring order. He's redeeming order to your life, mm. uh, to your relationships, to uh, what you do and how you do it, to how you operate. And and that's one of the things that I love about even looking at what we do as human beings and bringing this idea of order, um, because total order, complete order is what I what what the, the the Hebrew word Shalom would be it's this peace it's this total flourishing it's completeness it's it's wholeness mm-hmm. and so and that's something that I didn't really get to mm-hmm. uh, this weekend is yeah. this idea of Shalom and because when when God looked at at the very end of day six what did he say it was very, very good yeah and so there's the there's Shalom that covers you know, planet Earth. But then when sin entered the world, there was no shalom. There's no peace. There's this restlessness. There's this chaos. There's the catastrophe. There's this void. And so now as the people of God, because we are now reconciled to God through Jesus, we can be the missional people meant to reflect the void that, that God is filling. And he's filling it through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I think um, one of the areas of the fall that I never really thought about or felt in, in touch with was something I, I for my master's, I, or my, <laughs> sorry, I have two masters in the second one. You have two. Uh, hey, I know. You're an overachiever and a PhD. <laughs> I so, uh, you I don't know, know. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I, so my supervisor was uh, formerly a nun and she said, have you ever heard of Hildegard of Bingen? Mm. And I said, no. And so I got to know Hildegard, who is quite an amazing person. You can look her up online. But what she did, she identified one part of the fall that I had not thought of, and she pointed out that the their language was affected by the fall. That they were no longer Adam and Eve were no longer able to communicate with one another the way they could before. And that, when you think about it in a big picture, and how. Uh, as a Christian, when we understand something or when we understand someone else when they're talking, if if I understand that is a that is a reflection of the spirit in me that's in this in your in you and helping us understand one another. And if God is in fact redeeming all of this, 
then we need to be relying more on God for some basic things like trying to communicate to other people. Yeah. Because yeah. we know how, how frustrating that is. But yeah. God can redeem it. He Well, he can. And I think – and the question that I, th- I think is really helpful when you're – especially, again, this is an aspect of, of mission in terms of mirroring God, reflecting God's glory in all spheres of life and asking yourself this question – Am I bringing flourishing to fill in the blank? Mm -hmm. Am I bringing flourishing to my family? Am I bringing flourishing to my marriage? Am I bringing flourishing to the place that that I work and that I'm I'm spending 30, 40, 50 hours a week? Why? Because any place where God is present and any place that God is working, he's he's always bringing about shalom. He's always bringing about peace and Mm -hmm. order. And again, that's part of what the people of God are supposed to be doing, which yeah. is again why why when, when I look at the, the mission statement is to create a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And then the the second iteration, which would have been to redeem a people mm-hmm. to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Um any questions that you have of me, like, you know, as I, you know, as we, we get ready to kind of wrap up our very first episode of Extra Takes, any, any question mm-hmm. come to mind about the message or about a topic that I hmm. covered? I don't think so. I know. I can't really. See, I, clear as mud. That's, yeah. that's what I love. I, you know, cl- yeah. clear as mud. Well, God so redeemed he, your sermon. So he, he, he redeemed <laughs> redeem his sermon. Um, so, so as we end, North and family and friends, here are some resources that I think would be very helpful as we journey together through this series. And let me share them with you. The, and there are about five of them that I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. Uh, one, and this is a big book, but but for for all of those all, uh, for all of those who won't you know love the dense read of of a four <laughs> five hundred plus page book, th- this this one's for you. But it's called The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. And so if you want to know what well, you, you know, kind of the mission of God from from Genesis to Revelation, there is your your book now. Hmm. If you want to read some more, a little bit lighter book, then I would suggest God Dwells Among Us. God Dwells Among Us. It's very accessible. It's a very accessible book, but it's by G.K. Bill. Um, then the two other books that I, I would recommend is Culture Regained by Albert Walters and then Culture Making by Andy Crouch. And then the fifth resource that if you want to if you want to know a little bit more about work and vocation and leadership in the image of God and the what the Bible has to say about biblical principles of leadership, Sam Serto and I, so Dr. Sam Serto and I, we will be leading a seven week study on business and leadership after the image of God. Cool. And so so it really will fit into that whole realm of create and how do we image God through what we create and how we lead. And so that's coming up this fall. So that's a fifth resource. So if you're interested, keep your ears and eyes open. Well, Northland, we love you. We're grateful to God for you. We're looking forward to this coming weekend as we look at Genesis 11 and 12, and we will look at the third iteration of God's mission. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.